Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Sliding into my seat. And with us is Dr. Molly Edmonds, MD, Esquire, PhD, LLC, right? Yes. Did I get all those, Molly? I think so. Uh, this is uh, the final installment of our four-part healthcare reform suite. We've reached the end of the final countdown. Can I just say, speaking for Molly and I, thank God. Yeah, you're not speaking for me, too. Do you, you think I like this, Chuck? Are you ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we've talked about health care reform. First of all, Molly, what was that statistic that, that you mentioned um, a long time ago in a, in a podcast far, far away where you said, like, only one in eight Americans think that the um, health care system in the U.S. needs reforming? Eight out of ten people are happy with their health care okay. as it is. All right. So um, what we've kind of deconstructed is why healthcare reform is even on the table. We've talked about the uninsured, right? Yes. We've talked about the fact that um, that America has um, really, really terrible, uh, like, mortality rates or um, uh, disease rates, chronic disease rates, that kind of stuff. Um, so that in and of itself makes the healthcare system worth fixing, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing that hasn't been brought up, and, and I haven't seen it brought up in coverage too much, is the fact that our healthcare system is actually keeping us from competing as well as we could on a global scale, right? Okay. Which is why we would compare ourselves to other healthcare systems around the world. You know, the thing is that no one in this country wants to become like any other system in the world, but I don't know if you could find anyone who lives in another country who wants to trade place with an American when it comes to their health care. Well put. Well put. Let's talk about competitiveness and the health care reform system via Dr. Michael Roizen, who you guys might remember, right? Yes. What is he? Uh, Dr. Roizen is the chief wellness officer of the Cleveland Clinic. And? My hero. And the co-author of um, the You, the Owner's Manual book series, right? With Dr. Oz. Here is what he had to say. Because healthcare is a expensive thing in America and that we need reform for the economy to function, for jobs to be created and for us to be competitive with Europe and Asia for jobs, and for us to not worry about a falling standard of living, and for people to not worry, not have the stress of worrying about, will there be health care for me when I need it that I can afford? Okay, so... If we're going to keep up with Europe and Asia, like Dr. Royzen suggested, we could by reforming our healthcare system. Um, maybe we should kind of peek in on what other countries around the world are doing, whether for better or for worse. Um, Molly, you wrote this article, 10 Healthcare Systems Around the World, right, which is up on the site. Yeah, it's sort of, I think, a virtual hot air balloon ride through the world of healthcare. <laughs> it was. It was a delightful one, too. It was beautiful. I like So it many there. bloody bandages. <laughs> Very peaceful. Um, so were, was there any particular healthcare system that struck you as arguably better than the U.S.? Oh, we. Oui. Or better than all the other <laughs> ones, actually. We? We, we. Let's talk about France. France? Transition. Oh, gotcha. Get it? Yeah, I do now. We means yes. I gotcha. It's <laughs> like touch. means touch. <laughs> means touch, yeah. Okay, France. 
they apparently have the best health care in the world, so says I mean, the World Health Organization, right? Yeah. It's hard we- to argue with. Woo. All right. Moving well, on, then. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually, um, I think, just because it's become a, uh, a relic in the health care reform debate in the United States, that uh, WHO um, 2000 report of 191 countries' health care system rankings is controversial. I think we should say that. Yeah, we got Not a lot of Not everybody's like, oh, that. well, who said that? So, okay, it must be true. Um, but, again, you can pick apart anything. But So let's just stick to the fact that France was rated number one in the year 2000 by the World Health Organization's rankings of 191 countries, right? Right. Okay. So all French citizens will put in money based on their income. You can't opt out of it. And then in return, they'll get about 70% of their health care paid for by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get same-day appointments. You can choose any health care provider you'd like. Um, but, okay, so we said 70%. How do they pay for the other 30%? They all have supplemental insurance with either a public or a private plan. Gotcha. And that is more similar to how we have it in the U.S., where that supplemental plan might come from your employer. So there, there are a couple problems with the French system. I mean, it's not flawless. No, um, there is you, no flawless plan. We should go ahead and say that. You lie. <laughs> um, I saw one guy that said uh, said it like this. He said it's sort of like Medicare for everybody. With the French system, yeah, I got gotcha. you. And he was he was a pro. So they they make up the other thirty percent with private. Uh, plans, right? Private or public. And that's the problem is if you have money, then you would probably opt for a private plan. So some critics would say that the French plan is too divided by class. People who want really good care and can pay for it, get it. Those who can't, don't. Right. But they do that in England too. You can get uh, also get your private insurance. Right. Yeah. And uh, we should say for a kind of a, a comprehensive rundown of England, Molly gave one in the third podcast, yeah. right? So we're not going to talk about those. We're going to skip England in nice... One. Okay. I mean, it was a nice stop on the balloon ride. But here's how <laughs> France got its awesome rating, okay? It spends 3300 per person on health care, while the U.S. spends over twice that. Um, so already they're using money pretty well. And if you get really sick, like you have just the worst form of cancer right. in the world, everything is paid for. Yeah, that's what I saw that in your article and some other stuff I read is that if the sicker you are in France, the better off you've got it. Or the easier and quicker your claims will get paid as well. Exactly. But it's not just the really sick who benefit because um, I think what's cool about France is they have the lowest rate of deaths that could have been prevented. Right. The U.S. has the highest number of these preventable deaths that they say are... You know, if you had had an early diagnosis or if you'd had an early treatment for a condition. Right. I did see also in another article I read that um, one of the criticisms uh, criticisms is that there's not great coordination between the GPs and the specialists in France. But if you're talking about problems, that's not the worst thing in the world. That's better than being denied for a pre-existing condition, I think. Wouldn't you say? I, w- I would <laughs> say, yeah. Um, you guys done with France? Because I'd like to get back in the balloon. Okay. Okay. And just head on over a few kilometers, a few clicks, if you will, uh, to Germany. Which is um, out of the uh, out of the healthcare systems in the in the article. This one's my favorite, and I, I'm not embarrassed to say that one of the reasons why is because of the um, ample access to spa days. True. <laughs> and even the public health insurance plans, right? Right. And there's 200 of them, correct? Mm-hmm. And they're employer and employee funded, right? Yeah, and you know where that comes from is actually in 1883, old Otto von Bismarck was like... He had the spikiest Old Otto. (laughs) He was like, I want some health care like they had back in the days of guilds. 
And so mm. he is basing all of this off the fact that when you were in your medieval guild for being, you know, the podcaster's guild, right. the, you know, cloth maker's guild, sure. you know, yeah, yeah. it was Germany. That was how they named them. Okay. Um, they all paid for each other's sit time. They all got together and it would be like us saying, podcasters, let's have to pay for Josh's care when he has a stroke from smoking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I We can't even get podcasters to unite under this roof. I doubt if we can get it all around the world. So. <laughs> you never know. You Good luck with try. that guild. So this follow is a, the Bismarck model. This is a pretty old system, and um, it's been around for hundreds of years, but it's because they're always willing to keep reforming it. Yeah, right. I noticed that in another article um, from uh, Berlin University, actually, um, it was kind of a rundown of the German healthcare system. Uh, all these different years kept coming up. Like they try new things, like every mm-hmm. year or two. Uh, and it seems like that's probably what you'd have to do. I think the Absolutely. impression that a lot of people in America have, whether supporters or opponents, is that this healthcare reform is going to happen, and that's it. Yeah. And I think you're. I think you make a very valid point that it has to keep evolving and changing as problems come up or as things prove very effective. You know, you put more money into this or take funding away from that. Right. So one of their cool new initiatives are these disease management programs um, where if the patient gets more counseling from a doctor, like if a nurse calls them up at home to make sure they're taking their meds, Mm -hmm. you know, sticking with their diet, these people have much um, lower rates of hospital admissions and much lower rates of deaths from people than people who have the exact same conditions who aren't getting that counseling. So I think that's a pretty yeah. cool way to approach disease. I don't know. I, I could see like half the people in the United States thinking it's a really nice thing to get a call, and half the people would be like, stay out of my business, nurse. Right. <laughs> How'd you get this number? Right. <laughs> well, and you know, it's not like the nurses and the doctors love this system. I would say that you read a lot of articles about how the German doctors feel underpaid. They're yeah. the ones who protest the most often, right? right. German doctors? Yeah. It says they're paid about two-thirds what American doctors um make and but they pay less for uh, malpractice insurance and some of them go to school for free med school and you know one cool fact that i did not manage to squeeze into this article but um those plans those 200 plans that we were talking about right the those plans get incentives if they get sicker people on their rosters so instead of a system Mm -hmm. like in the u.s where deny people where we tend to deny people they get benefits for doing that in germany that's pretty cool i also saw where you can uh in germany you can go straight to a specialist like you don't have to go through your gatekeeper uh, GP, which is kind of cool. Also, there is a private insurance market for um, people who make over 48,000 euros a year. Oh, really? Uh, it's not compulsory for those people, actually. Long-term uh, health insurance is compulsory for everybody. But basic health care coverage isn't compulsory for people who make over 48,000 euros right. a year. Um, so there's a, another, uh, uh, I guess, accompanying private insurance market, but that's still regulated by the government. Uh, there's like, uh, you can't uh, deny for pre-existing conditions. Um, and apparently your rates are assessed when you enter that private system mm-hmm. um, based on your risk, but that's it. There's like a one-time risk assessment and that sticks with you for the rest of your life. I miss the Deutschmark. Cool I'm just going to go ahead and say that. You miss the Deutschmark? Yeah, I miss the Deutschmark. What an odd thing I miss, to say. I miss the Frank. I miss this whole Euro business. Yeah, but I hate to change money from country to country. I, was, I thought it was kind of thrilling. But then you're left oh with your leftover God, coins. You get so yeah, but then you take them and you give them to your cousins and nephews and nieces. You're <laughs> such a giver, Chuck. I actually haven't been to Europe since they introduced the Euro, so I'd probably love it. Speaking of redistributing money. 
Oh, I know where we're going next. This is going to be kind of a long balloon ride. So uh, let's yeah, just let's flash forward to when we when we land in Cuba. So Cuba, let's talk. <laughs> they uh, have health care for all, well, you, you'd give the skinny because I have. I just read some articles where they say it wasn't so great. Well, you know, the famous example, I think, Cuba, if you're a Michael Moore fan, is when he took people to Cuba so they could get better care uh, than they could in the United States. And, you know, it was meant to embarrass the U.S. healthcare system. There are obviously a lot of critics, as with anything Michael Moore does, of how it was portrayed in the movie. And some people say that there is um, sort of one level for the people they're going to impress and then one level for everyone else. Right. But I do think that even those people who are in maybe that lower um, echelon mm-hmm. get an immense amount of preventative care. That's pretty pretty cool. Well, that's it sounds like they do uh, do a pretty good job with preventative care because they kind of have to. Well, you guys were talking about Germany and uh, doctors or nurses calling you up going, how are you doing? Um, if you had a problem with that, you probably really have a problem with Cuba because uh, any any person is subject to a surprise visit from their physician. Once a year. Yeah. They just so are going to stop just show by, up at your door. See what you're doing. What right. are you eating? And they're like, while well, we're well, here, that's... what's under your mattress and what's in your closet? <laughs> well, see, that's sort of the problem is that, you know, because they, they have good preventive care because they may not have, let's say, a fridge or access to really fatty food or a really great car. Okay. Um, so it's almost like the, you know, what we would see is the deficiencies in Cuba have created a culture whereby they walk a lot. Yeah, right. True. They, they don't have fast food. I right. mean, it's coming. They say that that might be sort of the next wave of obesity as Cuba is getting some fast food. Really? Yeah. Well, as a result, Cuba, um, <clears throat> they have, uh, I think they spend 260 bucks a person mm-hmm. on health care. A year. A year. Yeah. Right, because they're, they're really good with preventative wellness. Right. But I do want to point out, you know, sometimes, I believe you brought it up, Josh, there's the thought that if we spend a lot less on health care, we'll really skimp on our innovation. Mm-hmm. But Cuba, surprisingly, is known for its... Um, innovation and medical breakthroughs. I have heard that, yeah. They, um, it, the medical sector is their sixth largest in exports. Obviously not to the U.S., but um, they really got put themselves on the map with some vaccines they've come up with, first meningitis B and then hepatitis B. And um, so they're really making a name for themselves in terms of their pharmaceutical and mechanical medical equipment exports. Chuck, you referenced some uh, articles that you'd read that had criticized the Cuban um, yeah, healthcare system. Yeah, I think this is one of those systems where you it all depends on who, what side you're reading. Definitely. Because I read a bunch of articles that said, and a lot of these people interviewed Cuban uh, refugees that were now living in America, and they said things like, there's two healthcare systems, one for health tourists, which apparently Michael Moore is a health tourist, and that's a big deal. I mean, you've got a camera crew following yourself around. Then right. Think. You're going to get treated differently. But there's health tourism is a big deal there, and you mm-hmm. can go and pay cash. And so there's one system for Communist Party officials and health tourists, and then one for the rest of Cuba. And... They maintain that, you know, if you're the rest of Cuba, you can't get things like aspirin, you can't get antibiotics unless it's on the black market, and you don't have access to a lot of, like, basic medical care. Uh, you have to bring your own sheets to the hospital, stuff like that. Well, and I think there's also a concern that they get these really great statistics by fudging their numbers a little bit. Right. Like, Cuba has really good rates of infant mortality. I thought that was interesting. But in the United States, you know, if a, if a baby is born and only lives a very short period of time, we count that. Right. Whereas if... It was in the same. If it was alive for the same period of time in Cuba, they may count that as dead on arrival. Right, and didn't you also say that some doctors allegedly will 
suggest abortions mm-hmm. in the womb. No, the if, government uh, um, suggests they, they abort a fetus that uh, okay. might be developmentally disabled or something, right? Right. You know, there's just concern that um, they have great numbers, but because, you know, we don't really know much about what goes on inside the country, we don't know exactly know how they get them. Right. So I heard it, Cuba's really nice to visit. It can it can be hard to separate your opinions on the Cuban health system from your opinions just on Cuba, the country. Right. So I don't want to oversell Cuba. Okay. <laughs> but I'm glad I got to visit in the balloon. I don't have any opinions on Cuba other than what I've heard from a couple of friends who've traveled there and said it was really awesome and the people were lovely and the country was beautiful. And uh, politics aside, the country itself they loved. It's illegal. It's illegal. Actually, not true. Um, so you guys, let's uh, head on over to China. Okay, well, here we are in China, and this place is kind of screwed up, huh, Molly? I mean, I don't know if I'd want to get sick here. It used to be pretty good, from what I understand in your article, that there was a cooperative health care system, right? Right, and they dismantled it, and that just didn't go very well because, uh, you know, no one knew where to send the bill, and the places they were sending the bill didn't pay up. Yeah. And what the the huge effect of this was that there's a, a giant divide between healthcare in cities and healthcare in the rural areas. Yeah, you, you, one of the uh, I guess ideas for Chinese healthcare reform was that all farmers pay a dollar for healthcare in and a they bought in a year and they balked at that as being too expensive. Mm-hmm. Are the rural Chinese that poor? Really? Well, I think or is they healthcare were also, just not really taken seriously over there or what? Well, I think they were also saying that, yes, a dollar was high, especially for the care they got. Mm-hmm. I was reading one article, I believe it was in the New York Times, about how you go to some of these rural clinics and stray dogs are walking the halls of the clinics. But oh. it's not worth a dollar a year? Stray That's dogs in your bad. hospital? So they bring dogs into American hospitals to perk up cancer patients. Yeah, nice, <laughs> healthy ones, not ones that look stray like they're going to die. You don't know whether they're stray or not. You're talking about the, uh, like... They have different names at every hospital, I guess, but Love on Four Paws. Sure. That kind of program. Sure. Stray dogs make love, too. <laughs> but not in, Amer- not in uh, hospitals. Well, okay, so China's, uh, in, in addition to its ridding the hospitals of stray dogs initiatives, um, they're planning on building 700,000, uh, I guess, probably pet unfriendly clinics. In rural areas? Well, I mean, maybe they'll bring the nice dogs into those clinics. Okay. But yes, they are in the middle of funneling just a ton of money into their healthcare system in the hopes that they can uh, er- eradicate this divide between Over rich the next, and poor. Over like, 10 years or so, 10 mm-hmm. or 11 years? Yeah. But by... 2011? By 2011, 90% of the population will have health insurance. They're yeah. hoping. They're Fingers crossed. $124 billion on it? Yes. $850 billion yen. Yuan? Yuan. I don't really know how to pronounce anything in China. Yuan. Yuan. That didn't sound like very much money to me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. To build 700,000 clinics? Yeah. And, the, well, the other problem is, Molly points out that um, 40% of that money uh, is supposed to come from the central government, which means provincial governments are going to have to make up the rest, and right now no one knows if they're going to pay up, right? It's sort of the problem they had when they first dismantled them. Yeah. No one wants to pay for health care. That's true everywhere. Yeah. But you know one place where they do pay? Are we going back to our balloon now? Sure. Do we have enough gas? It's run on unicorn tears. Excellent. Okay, do we have enough unicorn tears to make it to Taiwan, you think? Oh, I hope so, because Taiwan's got a pretty nifty system. Okay. I don't think it, w- it would work in this country, but... Dude, the smart card. The smart card sounds so convenient, although kind of nerve-wracking for someone like me who has the tendency to lose things. Wait, wait, you guys. Can wait, you only get one? Until we get to uh, Taiwan. 
Okay, here I just, we are. We're I wanted in Taiwan. To, <laughs> I wanted to brief Chuck before we got there. No, right. no chatting along the way. Let's just all sit silently in our balloon it's a silent flight. All right, so we're in Taiwan now. This is lovely. So back to the smart card. Before <laughs> yeah, we were before so we were... Enough. Exactly. Um, okay, so you get a smart card. It's got your entire medical history on it. Right. And you can just show up to a doctor, give them your card, and they can pull up your entire medical history. And that is how they will also build a government. So it's like your health care credit card mm-hmm. that you never have to see the bill for, and it's your entire medical history. Now, of course, there are going to be people who say that's way too much information for any government to have about a person. I like the idea of the smart card. I wouldn't mind all my medical information being on one card because I'm a little distressed every time I go to the doctor and I see them pull out a paper file in the midst of thousands of paper files. It seems very archaic to me. Well, I've, I've moved quite a bit, and I just hate having to kind of start over every time with every right. doctor. And what, what do you do? I actually haven't changed doctors much. Do you get them to send everything to your new doctor? I think you're supposed to. Really? I, I, maybe I shouldn't reveal how poorly I manage my health switchovers. <laughs> so I am a health writer. The smart card sounds weird. Well, out. yeah, medical, uh, medical billing, medical information, it's a huge, huge problem in the U.S., just in administrative costs and time. Yeah, and that's the thing that was cool about what Taiwan did is that in expanding coverage to cover so much more of the population, they cut all those costs mm-hmm. because now they have no administrative costs, essentially. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is that now Taiwan doesn't spend enough on health care to cover their costs. Right. And the Taiwanese have gotten used to these really low health care costs, and people are afraid to raise the taxes, the age-old story. Yeah, I saw where the, a family, an average family premium is $650 a year in Taiwan. So... Yeah, I can't even get car insurance for that. So are we done with Taiwan? Is that smart card? This place is really clean, by the way. Have you noticed? I have. And the food's good. Yeah. Are we done? Let's go to Russia. Okay, guys, thank you again for not speaking during the balloon ride. So we're in Russia now. And unfortunately, this is not a good place to get sick, so no one drink the water here, okay? Okay. Right. Wait, you can't drink the water in Russia? No. Oh, no. Giardia. Okay. Really? Wow, I didn't know that. You'd think they would have had that worked out. No. So they got not in a place that has one of the four worst healthcare systems in the world. Right. W- are, is there another one we may have heard of that's in that list? According to Foreign Policy, the United States also makes that list. It was a Foreign four Policy worst. article. So it's 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 not stellar. The World Health Organization that we mentioned earlier ranks them 130 out of 191. Wow. So, you know, and they, they've got a fair bit of money. It seems like they should be doing, doing a little bit better. Right. And this is another system sort of like China where they dismantled their old Soviet system, which mm-hmm. was pretty well admired around the world, and tried to create a public-private combo system. And basically this system works well in theory but sucks in practice. Yeah, Financially, should... it doesn't work out, right? I don't even think of, I mean, financially... Personally, right. <laughs> you got to show up with a pretty hefty bribe to see a doctor in Russia. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. You mean that, a donation? That, that that on paper or you know um, spoken, it's ninety um, percent of the population's covered, but the government doesn't really pay up, and so to keep operating, hospitals and doctors go. Um, I need you to give me a donation, buddy, uh, or else I'm not going to treat you. It's donation. extortion. For healthcare, which is nuts. Can we just be careful because I don't want Vladimir Putin to listen to this podcast. And come wrestle a tiger. Yeah, he'll take his shirt and off. And listen to the word extortion. <laughs> right. So let's make our stop here brief. I, okay. think, I think what's good to know is that the World Health Organization, love it or leave it, recommends that countries spend about five percent of their total spending uh-huh. on healthcare, 
and Russia spends 3.4%. Okay, I don't want to alarm anybody. Some guys just pointed at us and are starting to come over, so we should probably get back to our balloon, okay? Let's pack our rubles and get out of here. Let's go to a pretty happy place, Canada. Okay. Yeah, we had a lot of Canadians write in. So what about us? We have a lot of Canadian fans, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about you all now up there in the Great White North. Okay, I'm going to let that one slide. Uh, we're here in Canada now. Um, thank you, Molly, for not speaking during the journey. I couldn't be quelled any <laughs> no, longer. No, I was writing a personals me. ad for a Mountie. <laughs> so let's see if we can find you one here. But first, let's talk about the healthcare system in Canada. This is the one that uh, the U.S. is... Uh, often compared to if if, we're, if we go to socialized medicine or something, this this Canada, I always feel bad for them because they serve as like some sort of cautionary tale for what we don't want. But from what I hear, it's not nearly as bad as as we've been told by some quarters. Me too. I've heard that too. Right. People are trying to treat Canada like the worst case scenario. And I think that um, this is due to a lot of commercials. And from what I can understand, I mean, I haven't talked to these people myself, but it seems like People are very good about going and finding the people who did have just staggering long wait times sure. and put them in the commercial. Right. I have some Canadian friends who uh, I keep up with on the blog, and they've, they've written me before and said, you know, it's not perfect over here. Wait times aren't nearly as bad as they're depicted, though, and we'll take it any day. And I think wait times were really bad back in the 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. And then in the 90s, Canada invested uh, billions of dollars to improve the statistics. And so now if you want to head over to a clinic... Before you go over, you type in which clinic you want, uh-huh. and they will tell you what the wait time is. Oh, cool. So, I mean, that sort of transparency, I think, is, is pretty hard to find in this country. And then the wait times are, it's, it's not for, like, basic care, right? Isn't it usually for, like, special no, uh, yeah. elective surgeries and the, stuff like that? The, rate, the waits are longest for, you know, like, knee replacements, sort of elective things. And I think that one of the ways that Canada does keep their costs low in comparison to the United States is they don't buy every single newfangled machine that comes out. In the United States, we have a tendency to buy every single cool gadget. and that It's really, pretty, buy it. And that really can make our healthcare system seem like it's working really well. It really does provide us a great level of care, but it doesn't mean that the old machines were necessarily in bad shape. Right, but there uh, appears to be something of a, an um, equally American sentiment among Canadians that um, they do like their pretty machines, like an MRI, a New York MRI, because there, you mentioned in the article there's a, um, I guess, a, a subculture of rogue doctors who offer um, unlicensed illegal, illegal mm-hmm. medicine uh, for people who don't want to wait and can pay up, I assume, right? Right. I mean, I think that that's sort of the, the message you can take from any of these systems is the people who have money will use it. Um, we should also say that if you're going to compare a country with socialized medicine to what um, the U.S., what the, the fear of what the U.S. might become, uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't point to Canada. You'd be much better off pointing to Britain because while Canada does have a single-payer government system of health care, um, the hospitals and doctors are private entities. They're private enterprises, right? Right. In Britain, uh, they run the hospitals and pay their doctors, but in Canada, it's just single-payer. And let's talk about what that means, because single-payer seems like such a dirty word to people. Um, here's how Canada pays for their health insurance. The citizens fund a, you know, their, their health care by paying income taxes and sales taxes. And then um, all that money is sort of funneled through to the provinces and the territories. So it's not even like Canada as an entity right. is pushing out the, the money. Gotcha. You clear on that, Josh? I am. Do you want a fun fact? Yeah, please. Did you know that open heart surgery costs 30% less in Toronto than it does in Chicago? Really? 
Yes. That's crazy. Also, prescription drugs tend to cost a lot less in Canada. Um, from what I understand from Roizen uh, during that phone interview, mm-hmm. because um, Canada promotes far more competition among um, pharmaceutical companies. The same pharmaceutical companies that might be based in the U.S. are doing business here in the U.S. Or based in why their, their costs are lower for pharmaceuticals. Right. And also doctors and nurses make a fair bit less. So I don't know if... I don't know if doctors want to go to Canadian system. Okay, kids, one last stop on our whistle stop tour. Make it a good one. I feel like doing some skiing. Um, Let's uh, go to Switzerland. Oh, good, chocolate. Okay, here we are in our last stop. We're in Switzerland. It's beautiful. You see the red crosses everywhere? And the Alps and the Nyes. Smiling red apple cheek faces. I'm going to stay neutral and not give you an opinion on this. Okay. Uh, I saw that one coming. (laughs) Their, uh, their healthcare system is really expensive. Really, really expensive. And yet, um, Americans who are looking for alternatives abroad seem to love it, both Democrats and Republicans. Cause it's a pretty good system, but it's just expensive, right? Well, it's the, you know, they have free choice, mm-hmm. but they pay for that. They do. What do you mean by that? Well, I will tell you. <laughs> okay. You know how everyone here is all freaked out about a public health option? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all private plans in Switzerland. It's not tied to your employment at all. You just can go into a marketplace, let's say, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. pick your private plan, and um, you know, make it as fancy as you want. And it can cost a lot. You can. Is, is, are you ready for a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> $750 per family per month, not per year. Yeah. So pretty steep. Yeah. So generally, Republicans like the choice you can have of private plans, and Democrats like the fact that even though that's expensive, everyone's covered, because those who can't afford it receive subsidies from the government. But I don't know if you want to go from being uh, first expensive, most expensive right. healthcare system in the world to second most expensive healthcare system right. in the world. <laughs> uh, one of the things I found significant in your article about Switzerland was that um, your uh, healthcare providers aren't allowed to make a profit off of basic healthcare. They make their profit off of like elective surgeries, um, optometry, things like that. Alternative medicine, yeah. just the right to get a private room in a hospital. That's a little bit extra. Um, so, yeah, not use everyone's, a right? everyone's private plan is essentially the same, mm-hmm. and everyone pays the same. That's a key thing. It's not tied to how much money you make. Right. Regressive, not progressive. Wow. Nice. I've got a little fact for you, too. One of the uh, largest insurance uh, companies in Switzerland pays out claims in five business days. Whoa. That's awesome. And people love it, they said. I'm sure. Clearly. You guys want to go back to the studio? Not you got really. your chocolate? I kind of like it here in Switzerland, to be honest. I stay here in Switzerland. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back to the studio and right. wrap this up, right? Good knowing you. So I'm here with Josh. I, I couldn't let him go alone. Thanks, Chuck. We left Molly and her Mountie in Switzerland. Let's say, uh, yeah, those two are a handsome couple. They are. They're going to live out the rest of their days in the Alps. Yep. Um, she promises postcards. Yes. That's it. And chocolates. Yes. We have finished the uh, fourth installment. Of our podcast suite, right. which means it's the end of our special healthcare podcast suite. I have hot air balloon lag. I know you do, buddy. We'll get you to bed with some warm milk and a beer in a that second. That sounds okay? good. Yeah. Um, Chuck, let's wrap this this puppy up. Okay. All and, right. And Molly, she's really here. We've really... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is, isn't she? <laughs> she's sitting right there. I was just daydreaming about the mountain here. I like the I life know. you pulled for us. Yes. Um, uh, thank you very much, Molly, for joining us. I don't know that we could have done this without you. It wouldn't have been the same, definitely. Agreed. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. And thank you, of course, to Dr. Roizen, 
who gave us like an hour of his time, quite generously, and for free. Sure. Like he didn't have lives to save. I was expecting him to be like a Russian physician, be like, I demand a donation, you right. know? But no, he didn't. Um, and thank you for tuning in to listen to our four-part series on uh, health care reform. It's an important issue, which is why we tackled it. And hopefully you learned something from it, had some of your questions answered. Uh, if you have more questions, you can visit Molly's uh, wonderful articles on the site at HowStuffWorks.com. You can just type healthcare reform in the handy search bar. And if you have any questions that you want to direct toward me and Chuck, you can send those in an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?